Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 87 and is being recorded on January 19th, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scan Discovery Season 2 Episode 1. Spoiler alert! This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2 Episode 1, Brother. I'm Aaron Gallo. I'm Eric Berry. And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover designs and illustration stand out from the crowd for more information visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10 percent off of your order hello gentlemen hello hello insert bosun whistle here (laughs) 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 it's been a while since the three of us have been able to sit down and talk trek together uh, aaron and i talked a couple weeks ago about the short trek eric you're joining us again for the first time in quite some time so i'm glad to have the the team back together it feels like i know i'm like the uh, the guest but i still feel like it's like oh teams get together <laughs> <laughs> get the band back together exactly. uh, yeah i listened to the uh the short truck uh episode that you guys did so well done there my quick uh reviews wasn't keen on the first two just as they mm-hmm. felt a little bit slow paced uh loved the last two with saru and and mud those were perfect i i really love the harry mud episode yeah because at the end when it it like ties in the android thing there was so many different looks to the different mud androids that hinted at the original series and it was just that that was great um overall i enjoyed them collectively as a whole that would be so cool if they continued the short trek series but maybe visit different eras or, or or whatever it is so as as an experiment i think it was good like as a whole it it kind of constitutes a single episode kind of like yeah. length Right. So it was nice to get a, a bonus in between the season. Yeah, normally between seasons, the most you get is a, a trailer for the upcoming season. Maybe they'll put out like a behind the scenes vignette or something like that. But getting actual content between the seasons was nice, especially considering how long we had to wait yeah. between seasons. I mean, the last episode of season one was in February. Je- yeah, yeah, February. And then we didn't get new episodes until just now, January 17th of season two. So it's almost a full year between the end of one season and the beginning of another that's a long time to wait and them yeah. giving us something a little taste you know just a little taste to keep us coming back um and I, I know you guys talked about this but one thing i'll mention that i i really appreciated it's kind of like like i get it these are bottle shows because they're uh working with like a limited budget and, and scope and all that that was definitely true for the first two which is why i was like oh god are they all gonna be like this because the the tilly one in particular annoyed me because it looked like the discovery was completely empty i'm like is she alone too in the <laughs> ship like what's happening like aside from the the mess crew so uh, like i get it but you know they can still tell interesting stories with you know limited set pieces uh but i kind of like that they these to like get that out of the way because the main show does not have that problem at all like even the way it's filmed and everything even if an episode fully takes place on the discovery it's about the characters and and the 
story and they still find ways to interestingly shoot uh, from different perspectives and stuff. So even if they're in the engineering set, like, you know, 20 times that season, they're, they're still doing interesting camera angles and, and stuff to keep our interest. So um, overall, just to sum it up, I overall, I like the short tracks and I, I hope we get more of them in the future uh, between uh, long seasonal waits. Right. And speaking of short tracks, our international Star Trek fans finally got them released yes. on Netflix. Uh, in in one day. day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did they just like so, forget about it? They're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing these things too. And like Netflix is like, hey, guys, isn't that included in what we're doing? And they're like, oh, yes. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> And and it was it was such a bad look on social media because whenever whenever these like popped up on Twitter, people were like, "But why are the international? I, I want to watch too." And it was just like, "Oh man, like they should have just released it. M- maybe mm-hmm. give it a week or two after. See, like I don't know their agreement. Yeah. You know, or they should have at least told people that. Yeah, don't worry, it's going to eventually be on Netflix. Just we're give just us working out a date or something. Right. Yeah, I'm, what I'm guessing is that when they made the original deal with Netflix for them to, to show Discovery internationally, that the short treks probably weren't either weren't a thing or weren't a firm thing yet. Right. So they were probably not included in the original contract. So then once they started putting them out, they probably had to scramble to figure out the details of how they and were I, going to release that. They should have done I it quicker. W- but yeah. <laughs> And I wonder if since all four of them came out at once and since on Netflix, it's also like a weekly show, mm-hmm. I wonder wonder if that part of their agreement was like okay we can release this but we have to release them all at once since it's almost like a full episode like i wonder if that had anything to do with it yeah yeah it yeah. might have been a netflix thing too they yeah they might have been like we're not gonna put a 20 minute show out once every well there was like a month in between each episode right so yeah that's not really netflix style they don't usually do they very rarely even do the week right um they they did it once one season of the joel McHale show with joel McHale was weekly and then they did the second shortened final season which they just dropped all at once kind of ruined the point of a show that is essentially yeah pop culture references for shows that just happened the previous week (laughs) which i I enjoyed the show as a weekly like once a week like oh i'm gonna check this out because i don't watch any of these reality shows he's making fun of so i like to see him make fun of he's kind of annoying but i like the show i don't care (laughs) i was kind of sad to see it go actually but yeah so let's continue with the news cbs announced a new section one series how do you guys feel about that i am i was when i first heard the news the first thing i saw was uh michelle yo signs on for discovery spinoff yes all right we're gonna see a georgio show and then it was like oh it's section 31 mirror georgio i'm like ah well it's still cool i'm still gonna watch it obviously and hopefully they do some cool stuff with it but i much much would have preferred to see like go like go back let me see lieutenant georgio or lieutenant commander georgio and like build up to to where discovery was or you know something else i would have preferred to see prime Giorgio as opposed to this mirror mm-hmm. Giorgio that we're already getting in discovery season two so it's like do we really need a spinoff of mirror Giorgio but at the same time give me more michelle yo any day I'll take it i think it would be cool if this section 31 series like yeah we'll see we'll follow the mirror Giorgio. but what if mirror Giorgio is discovering more about her prime counterpart and maybe we see flashbacks as mirror Giorgio is discovering more about her prime counterpart that would be cool um i would i would take that as a glimpse into the prior life of our (laughs) i want to call it our Giorgio because we use the the term prime to kind of differentiate what happened with 
the the 2009 movie and all that. And so now it's like, well, what do we call our universe Discovery? Because it's already Prime, but this uh, that's it's also why Mirror Prime. Prime. It's, just, it's like it's easy. Uh, uh, it's confusing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, one interesting concept that they could do is have the holographic logs come into play, and yeah. she can like watch her Prime self to get talk. into her mindset, so she can better like impersonate her. But I I don't think she's going for impersonation because uh, yeah, not this. No, it's yeah. Oh yeah, she straight doesn't care anymore. Like she was impersonating our Giorgio for just the time that she was, you know, assigned as captain of Discovery in season one. Once they, once that was done and she was section 31, I'm sure she doesn't really care anymore unless I'm sure when she has to interact with anyone from Starfleet, she probably has to, because, you know, Starfleet's still claiming that it's actually Giorgio. Right. You know, they're still towing that line. So yeah, well, I, that's, I could that's see that's her going Pike through. Like, ooh, Kevin Giorgio in the, the trailer. Yeah. Right. An interesting piece of news to follow up on this. Mm-hmm. I guess during the uh, Discovery red carpet, Trek Corps was, uh, I think, interviewing Alex Kurtzman and one of the other producers. Something slipped where it was like, oh yeah, and we'll see George O in season three of Discovery. And people were like, wait, what? And so season three hasn't been officially announced yet, but they're already planning ahead. So, you know, we're, we're going to have Michelle Yeoh for, for a while for Star Trek. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think she's an amazing actress and I'm really interested to see where this section 31 goes. Yeah, yeah. I hope they can just flesh out this character and make her not necessarily likable, but someone that we want to see evolve over time. Yeah, it would be interesting to see, like you said, if she was maybe going through Giorgio's logs to to learn more about her, to impersonate her better when she has to interact with Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And maybe along the way, she learns that maybe I don't have to be this evil <laughs> person, you know, and maybe she takes on some of the characteristics of our Giorgio as things go by. Because as we discussed, last season when we talked about this version of the mirror universe that we're seeing in Discovery, it's not just everybody's their opposite. It's more right. like everybody has all the same aspirations they always had. They just are willing to do anything to get it. Whereas in the Prime universe, people want to go about it the right way for the most part. You know, everybody's trying to go about it the right way. That would kind of tie into that version of the mirror universe that we're seeing if she like learns like, hey, maybe I don't have to do it this way. Maybe I can still get what I want and not you know, wreak havoc along the way. Right. Indeed. Well, uh, my my wife was very excited. So that's all that matters. Well, about the uh, series announcement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's she cool. loves Michelle Yeoh, and uh, she she likes this whole arc with with Mirror Giorgio. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it, and, well, cool. and so is she. As long as she's watching more Star Trek, I'm happy. So. <laughs> yeah. Always good. Star Trek bring families together. Yeah. <laughs> Family that treks together stays right. Damn straight. In, indeed. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to my favorite part of the show would you buy it do you guys buy this i will buy the when i have kids not before eh, we'll see i mean they'll be around <laughs> yeah i'm i'm ordering these when my paycheck hits on friday okay <laughs> <laughs> i am messing around and, and i'll keep them around for when i have future kids you know my kid is 19 so right, right, uh, right. she won't need these but i'm gonna read the heck out of these <laughs> i definitely want them i thought they came out earlier so i was actually in the kids section of a barnes and noble looking for them and then my wife you know goes on her phone she's like oh they're not out yet i was oh man but we're talking about the star trek little golden books that 
will sell or are selling for $4.99 each. My God, when I was growing up, I had a ton of little golden books. Me too. Um, yep. And I had no idea that they still made until like a year ago when I started seeing them pop up in like my comic book stores, like huh? like list of things that they could get. Yeah. And I was like, wait, they're still making these little golden books and they're like having them with nerdy franchises. I'm like, this yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like there is, I saw Star Wars ones. I was like, what? Crazy. No, I think my mom still saved all of the old golden books, like for me mm-hmm. to like pass on. So yeah. my God, if I can fill in the gaps with like nerdy options, <laughs> cause I, I learned how to read with little golden books. It, that's mm-hmm. th- those were the stories that my mom read to me over and over. And that's what I, how to, I learned how to read. So to see like Star Trek and Star Wars and there's like Marvel ones. Yeah. I've for... seen the Marvel ones. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally down for these. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely on board and five bucks a book is not that bad. You know, oh, it's yeah. more yeah. than I think they were originally, obviously inflation and all that, but still, you know, five bucks each. And there's, there's only three of the Trek ones out now. Right. So, well, there are two out now and the other one's available for pre-order. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, that's... too many triples. I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So the ones available right now are, I am Captain Kirk and I am Miss Fox and available for pre-order too many triples. Oh, wow. They got solo, a star Wars story, little golden book. <laughs> oh my God. No, I'm on Amazon right now. And it's like, do you want this? <laughs> <laughs> like, while you're looking here, I don't know. I, I need to actually watch that movie before I get the little golden book version of it. I think uh, I watched it. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. Neither did I. The people who, good. I, I haven't, I didn't skip it like on purpose. Like it wasn't like one of those, oh, I'm not going to watch this. Uh, no, it's just, I just never had the chance. I never got yeah. out to the theater when it was out in theaters. And then I was like, eh, I know it's eventually going to hit Netflix. So I'll just wait. And now it's on Netflix and I just haven't found the time to sit down and watch it. Mm. <laughs> Been too busy watching and rewatching and rewatching again. Disagree. Yes. So the season has premiered. Oh my God. <laughs> It's so good. It was, um, <laughs> yes, it just, was good. Wow. I, I was wowed from start to finish. It was, yeah. Uh, so let's just give a little summary of the episode, and this is via CBS. After answering a distress signal from the USS Enterprise, the USS Discovery welcomes aboard Captain Christopher Pike and begins a new mission to investigate the meaning behind seven mysterious red signals. Michael Burnham grapples with her past growing up on Vulcan with her foster parents and brother Spock. It, it's uh, it's so great. It, it really was pretty fantastic. Yeah, I know we're going to get into our specific likes and dislikes. I, my my likes list is very large, and I didn't even put everything on it that I liked about this episode. Uh, we, we should we should jump right in. Like, what, what did All you right. guys like about it? What were your likes yeah, yeah, for this episode? Aaron, just start going off. Cause... <laughs> All right. Uh, so the foundation of backstory as to why Spock hasn't mentioned Michael, although I found it interesting that Pike insinuates that Spock has indeed spoken highly of her, maybe because of the war. So uh, you're saying that no matter what, it was going to come up kind of a thing? Yeah. Oh, no, I get what you're saying, because Pike was saying, oh, well, he said they. He said they said you were intelligent, right? That's what he said to or I, they, I they said, said you were he. smart. I thought he I said thought he, he said, said you were smart. He said. Oh, he, he said, said you were smart. smart. Oh, okay. Yeah, because then immediately he goes, we have someone in common, or we have a person in common, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, I think it's one of those things to me, what it is, I think honestly, Spock is jealous of Michael and her relationship with Sarek and even with Amanda. Amanda. And so when they're together, he acts like he wants nothing to do with her, but deep down, he's still got a little bit of that sibling pride. So when he's talking to other people, he's going to, uh, he's going to, you know, talk her up and, and he's not a liar. So he's also not going to be like, oh no, she's an idiot. Well, cause she's but not, I, she's smart. I, so <laughs> well, I don't think she's going out of, out of his way to talk about her. It's only right. if it comes up. Yeah. Like if yeah. someone asks him directly. Right. So what I was thinking was the war is going on. The enterprise is on its five year mission. Which and great going. way to have them like the explanation as to why they weren't in the war. Like they right. are in deep space and the cage happened two years before this episode, mm. which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but, or uh, that's a point I want to bring up. So sure. like, I like the timeline we're seeing, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing Captain Pike before we know what happened, like eventually happens to him in the future. Mm-hmm. So Right. And I'm assuming that, you know, they're talking about Michael Burnham probably is coming up in conversation being the right. mutineer. And I'm sure he's like, you know, she's my foster sister. So yeah, I'm assuming that's how conversations went down. Uh, let's see. I really like the looks between Pike and Burnham uh, when oh he starts God. commenting on what happened the last time Starfleet investigated an unknown signal. That was that was some great like side shade from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and her look was was kind of like a wow. Did you have to go there? <laughs> yeah. Like, she was like, really? Aren't we past this by now? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've got an award for this. Like, end thing. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. The early visor that that guy was wearing i dug that and, too when i saw it like they zoomed in like like right gosh. on it and i was like oh is that a visor and then they sh- they zoomed out a bit and it's like okay no but all the way over like the back head but yeah if the technology to directly implant it into the brain wasn't right. ready yet and but they needed to to make something you know so yeah it, why would we believe that Jordy is the only person in starfleet or in the universe who has uh some sort of augmentation to their vision so that makes sense yeah um, and i, I love it. kind of like the 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 neural net type of inputs that were all around his head yeah. mm-hmm. because Jordy still had those like little LEDs sticking out of his temples. Yeah. Right. But to show the progression of technology and, and exactly. that's cool. It's because like, yeah, discovery is being produced in 2019, but they still created this thing, which looks less advanced than what mm-hmm. was on TNG. And that's cool. Yep. Right. That's exactly why I did. Cause I first saw, I was like, yo, is that a vibe? are on this dude <laughs> and uh, I love that scene and it from, was, it's huge the way that scene yeah. was shot was just fantastic I mean I love the the you know not just the, the you know, with the visor guy but the way they showed you know everybody's expecting Spock to be men yes. and then when they show and, and they just have the ear on yes. the side of the screen you're like it's not Spock <laughs> and and that's that was going to be one of my likes was that there were so many visual cues and tricks that they did in this episode which were fantastic what one of the new sites, I think it was Trek Core, put up a like a screenshot. You know that that light thing that they would do to Captain Kirk, like on his eyes. Yes. And they did that to Michael Burnham when she was in when she first entered Spock's quarters. Like she uh-huh. had that same kind of bar of light highlighting her eye. And it's it's super subtle, but when you know a, a, a nerdy site or a fan points something out like that, and you're like, oh my god! Like even the little yes. visual cues, they're still they're still callbacks to other shows and i think 
think that is so cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely agree. And next up, something that I saw in my third watching of the episode this morning, we see an officer using a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the so same, thought, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's the same one that uh, Tyler points to, points out in the party on the uh, the Mud episode in season one. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to like yeah. check the actual actors to see if it's the same guy, but I think it's that same actor uh, who played the, who was in a wheelchair in that party. Oh, you know if, if, if I don't it even is. remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't remember that in, until now either when you mentioned it, Eric. But yeah, and if it's the same actor, it's cool because that means it's kind of like Voyager where you see the same background extras mm-hmm. as crew because, mm-hmm. you know, Voyager had a limited crew, so you can't yeah. have like <laughs> all these extras that you've never seen before. But yeah, over like seven years of Voyager, you're seeing like the same Ensign dude or like the same guy in the background all His the time. His name was Harry Kim. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> not who I was referring to, but I appreciate the joke. But yeah, I mean, that's so cool if Discovery's kind of doing the same thing where, you know, they're keeping these extras on call mm-hmm. uh, and, and they're the same ones over and over. That's that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good point. We have Pike being the complete opposite of Lorca, which was refreshing. Yeah, he actually we, acts a Starfleet captain who acts like a Starfleet captain. Shot. Oh, I, I, I actually want to bring this up because this was something um, when I was watching with Teresa and I mean she's fairly new to Star Trek mm-hmm. um, and she was actually very surprised at Pike she was like oh I thought isn't Pike supposed to be kind of like Lorca and I'm like no and she's seen the the, the cage and I, I can see because you know Pike was a, a bit more strict in the cage but but now we know thanks to this episode it's because they were all tense thinking about what was going on at home during this war mm-hmm. and it's it's like a perfect tie-in. So her only exposure to Pike has been the the Cage and also the Kelvin movies. Right. You know, we only saw Pike for that that one movie um, or the, those two movies. So she was very surprised, like at how open Pike was and that he was completely different from from Lorca. And I'm like, yeah, this he is. Well, there's a reason that he's on that list that Saru brought up yeah. in in the first season. There's a reason Captain Christopher Pike is one of the most guarded Starfleet captains, you know, alongside Kirk and Archer and, you know, that whole big list. It's there's a reason. And this episode showed why Pike is so damn awesome. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I really enjoyed Pike in this in this episode and talk about that a little bit uh, later, too. Right. And I I, I like the overall humor in the episode. Yes. Not over the top, but enough punctuation of of, you know, just the, the timing was great. Yeah. Um, there was only one moment, I'll talk about it on my very short dislikes list, that I thought was uh-huh. a little over the top, a little out of place. But other than that, all of the the jokes, all of the humor, I thought was perfect timing. I thought it was just where it was needed, yeah. just enough, not you know, like ridiculous over the top humor, just the kind of stuff that people in a stressful situation would do to break mm-hmm. up the, the stress. And it, right. I think it shows a much more real experience that these people would be going through. I mean, obviously, it's a sci-fi adventure, but at the same time, were there real 
ideal human beings and other species going through these type of situations, one way that people deal with stress is humor. And I right. think that's not been as apparent in other Star Trek shows because it seems a lot more forced in other Star ah. Trek shows. It seemed yeah. a lot more easy. The timing was better. It just it yeah. flowed so much better in this than in any previous Star Trek franchise. Aaron, what was what was the most humorous moment of this episode for you or the one that got you to smile the most? Uh, it's one that we've seen in previews, I believe, but the, the one with uh, Pike getting his handprint scanned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I that was I just said probably... pinky to a captain. I mean, it's, just, it's not an authoritative word. <laughs> like, oh, I thought it broke cap. Uh, I just I just love how uh, Anson Mount acted that, that situation. It was lighthearted. You know, Saru is like rolling his eyes and, you know, people are kind of like chuckling or like, oh, yeah. Tilly. And and Pike's just rolling with it. Uh, like, I love that because, yes, you're a captain with authority. But like he said towards the end of the episode, you know, if we're not having fun, if we're not ruffling a few feathers, like, like what's the point? Like, Starfleet it can be fun. Like, yeah. they all got into this to explore the galaxy. And if you're not having a little fun doing it, what's the point? Exactly. Right. And I loved his smile during that, too. Yeah. Uh, I might have a little man crush on him, but that's... Is it, is that's it a man? Anson Mount? Fit, yeah. Yeah. Fit, yeah. 15 minutes into this episode, and I'm like, yep, Pike is awesome. This is <laughs> yeah. going to be a great season. I'm also glad that the Spore Drive isn't dead yet. Tilly's still investigating. I mean, we find mm-hmm. out that Stamets will be transferring, well, supposedly at the end of Pike's mission. But in some previews for what's coming up in the season, we see the jump. Yeah. So we know it's going to happen. Yeah, we know they're going to use it at least once because they show they show them actually doing it. So we know that it's going to happen. We just don't know when or why they re- resort to it. Because obviously it has to be something that, because they're under orders not to use it. So it has to have been something dire that they had to use it. So I'm curious to find out what predicament they're going to find themselves in where they have to use the board dress. Crazy kids. <laughs> Finally on my list here is some foreshadowing. Oh my God, this was so good. <laughs> I love th- I love this. Oh, go ahead. Uh, so Pike finds a fortune uh, that was left on the floor. They really need a fire there made. Um, <laughs> they probably have a Roomba. Those things are horrible around room. corners of, of furniture like that. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, the fortune reads, not every cage is a prison, nor every loss eternal. I love oh. this on so many levels because first of all, oh, you know, yeah. the mention of a cage when dealing with Pike, obvious, like, oh. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then right. with the nor every loss eternal and knowing that this was something left over from Lorca and it's like, oh man, does this, is there a chance? Is there a possibility that we're going to see, you know, Prime Lorca in the show at some point? I maybe not this Prime season. Lorca. Maybe not, maybe next season, but is this a hint that maybe we're going to see some more Jason Isaacs because I would love that. Um, we know Mirror Lorca is dead dead. Like, that's good. He did. I mean, <laughs> I mean he did the Wil- Wilhelm scream dead. Like, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we don't know, you know, they assume Prime Lorca is dead because they said, oh, well, no, no Starfleet officer could survive in that universe by themselves. Well, that's what they said in the original series mirror episode that they immediately discovered the the Terran because they weren't able to fit in. Yet Lorca, Mirror Lorca, was able to figure out how to fit in and to pretend to be the regular Lorca. So it's possible that Lorca has the mindset necessary to blend in where he needs to blend in. And maybe Prime Lorca also had that ability and somehow survived and has been hiding out and maybe he manages to find his way back and uh, I don't know. They, they have the option because nobody's ever found Prime Lorca's body. They have the option and I like that. 
but to, to also inform to Pike's future, because we know in the yeah. Menagerie, he goes back to the Telosians to live this life. And it, it this works on so many levels. It is, right. I, I felt that tinge of like, oh man, this is going to hit so hard and it's going to suck because I like Christopher Pike here. I love Anson Mount's portrayal. Mm-hmm. And it, that makes me like Christopher Pike as a character. Uh, I mean, Susie's stepping off the transporter pad, you know, talking about Mojave. I was like, sweet. Um, so yeah, it's it's just, uh, it's it's very bittersweet for that moment to happen. And brilliant idea by the writers. Yeah, no doubt. No totally doubt. agreed. Uh, so Mr. Barry, what do you yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm liking all the things that you guys are liking. Uh, another one of my likes is they were referring back to, in many different ways, to past uh, alien species that we've seen in Star Trek. Lieutenant Nan is from Benzar, from that TNG episode with the wormhole. Oh, is she? Yeah, oh. because it's they, okay. she's got the same ridges and the uh, cheek decorations, the metal circles. Okay. So if, if you remember that with the Barzan wormhole. Like the price. The, the, price, the price, yes, the yeah. price. That she very much looks the same like okay. that that Chancellor. It's nice. same same headgear, same ridge shape. And I was like, that's a deep cut. Yeah, um, I was one, I, I, I couldn't place that one. That one, was, I was like looking yep. at her going like, okay, I, I feel like I've seen this before, but I couldn't place it. So yeah, there yep. you go. And then we also see, um, so so that Linus character uh, uh-huh. that sneezed, yep. he is Discovery's version of uh, a Saurian. So okay. we saw we saw the Saurian briefly in the motion picture, you know, the big yes. lizard guy with the almond eyes. Yep. Um, so th- this was confirmed to be a Saurian. Okay. So Saurian brandy. Yeah, I was about to stuff. say, that means there's going to be some good brandy involved because the, uh, the Saurian brandy is always the goodest, the bestest. Uh, the yes. Goodest. <laughs> the goodest. <laughs> the goodest. It's gooder than the other brandies. <laughs> and Lieutenant Dickface or whatever his name was, uh, Mr. Man. Yeah, Connolly, Mr. Mansplainer. <laughs> he mentioned uh, Cation. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, so Cation's from the Academy, which we even saw in uh, the Kelvin movies, you know, Kurt getting it on with uh, uh, two half cat ladies. So, oh, he said Cation um, or Cation. Oh, I no, I see. Like, I miss. I I misheard that both both times I watched the episode. I misheard that. I thought he said Asian. I was like, man, this wow. guy's talking about math, and he just said Asian. I'm like, this guy's a bit of a racist. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it, <laughs> no, it's it's Cation. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> well, he's a speciesist, I I think. It's, it's or, still it's still a little, you know. Obviously, yeah. he's playing on some stereotypes, but I was like, whoa, did he just? I I seriously Why? thought he said Asian. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, half Asian chick in the academy. Like, what the hell? Yeah, he's he's talking about like, oh, you, you want to talk to me about math? Listen, I schooled this Asian person about math, and I was like, what? That, that's what I thought oh, you wow. said. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I had the subtitles on. It's definitely Cajun, <laughs> not Asian. So make that uh, that's a lesson, Mister Dewey. You need to watch it with the captions on. Definitely. <laughs> um, I loved Tig Notaro's uh, Janet Reno or what, <laughs> Janet Reno. What is that? Pink alert! I, I messed that up. Yeah, not, you did. Not not Janet Reno. What's what's her name? <laughs> 
her last name's Reno. I, I it, is, her it, it name. is Reno, Lieutenant Reno, I think, but I don't remember her first name. No, the they, they definitely oh. said her first name, but okay. Oh, no, I know, I know not, they said it. I just don't recall it off the top of my not, head. Not Janet Reno, not yeah. yeah. Commander Reno. Just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, but I I loved her character. It was just she was just so sarcastic and and also brilliant to have an engineer become a medical officer and apply engineering tactics. I, I love that line. Just, Oh, well the body's just another machine and, and I, I'm really good at reading. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I hope we see more of her character. Oh yeah. Me too. I mean, y- y- you don't have a, you know, kind of a, a, a big name like that and just have them as a one note character. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of her and that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I also loved, and, and this was stuff we seen from preview clips, but I really loved when Michael got to go to Spock's quarters, um, mm-hmm. all the references, like it's the same number that of his room in the original series. You, you see some of the similar set pieces, like with the red on the walls and the circle great shelf and, you know, his, his Lyra, the chest, like, like all that stuff. Um, really great callbacks. Here's another thing I found out, which a reference. I, I mean, I'm all about references, but I like how they do it where there's Easter eggs and they're not really Easter eggs. It's just Star Trek has such a big universe to pull from. You know, why create anything new in terms of a reference when there's something easy that you can make an easy reference to? And that's why I appreciate like, you know, the the alien from the price, like that species showing up again. And you're like, wait, isn't that like, cause there's so many Star Trek races, like, right. yes, and invent new ones for the sake of, you know, originality. But at the same time, you can sprinkle all of these episodes with with callbacks and references because they're a part of the universe. It's not like these things just pop up once and and they're gone. And what I appreciated was uh, one thing I don't know if you guys caught, but this was a deep cut when the flashbacks on Vulcan. Um, not only did Spock like have the same like shaped eyebrows and dumb bowl cut that yeah, how he looked animated. in the animated series, yeah. but in the animated series there's some kind of like serpent monster creature and and someone did a screenshot from the animated series but Mm. that's the thing that he was drawing and if you look at the design you know one's a wacky animated series it's like a pink and purple thing but the shape all of the details were there for this like holographic serpent dragon thing and that's another deep cut it's like unless you're a hardcore fan making these connections and I mean I, I, I think we all consider ourselves hardcore fans but we can't remember every single detail. So right. for them to take something from the animated series, like a weird creature and quote unquote, bring it to life into, you know, these special effects and into the episode, it's just, it puts a whole nother layer on, on the universe. And, and frankly, it starts bringing more of the animated series into Canon. Right. Well, I mean, that episode is basically good Canon. Yeah. Um, yesteryear. Yeah. Uh, very good episode. I did but, we do a, they're going to make me actually watch the animated series, aren't they? Just watch that episode. <laughs> yesteryear. <laughs> Just watch yesteryear. And another thing I really like is the cinematography. They changed the aspect ratio for this season to make it even more cinematic. This looks like a movie. Every single episode looks like a movie. Yeah, and it beautiful. looks like a high budget. It, it's amazing. Just the whole sequence with the Hiawatha and Michael running through the burning the burning ship and all of that. These huge digital sepsis. When they're walking into the shuttle bay in their Power Ranger suits and going into... (laughs) 
that's that's the one thing uh Teresa pointed out. She she started like laughing. I'm like, what? I'm, and she's like, they look like Power Rangers all in their color code. Now that you spaces. said it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, like because we know that shuttle bay, most of that is a digital extension. Yeah. But it's so seamless. And then the whole sequence with the the landing pods was mm-hmm. incredible. And so now I'm thinking it can't be a Star Trek uh, season premiere for Discovery unless Michael Burnham's doing a space thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so, it's required, you know. Yeah, it's just I do part of the like, thing. Sorry to hijack. No, no, but no. the space scenes are a little slower, so you can get yes. you can like appreciate what's happening. Because I don't think I was able to see a single Klingon ship clearly in all of <laughs> season one. Uh, no, so, it, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it de- to your point, it definitely feels like they've taken some of the criticisms and and like dialed it back. Um, this felt like the Star Trek tradition of the second season is going to be way better than the first. Yeah. I mean, for for, for any series, it, the the first some first seasons. I mean, all first seasons and all seasons have their own gems, but usually the first seasons of any Star Trek series, you know, unless the original series are you know trying to find their voice and their their rhythm mm-hmm. and man this this whole episode brother just felt like man they are firing on all cylinders because we we don't have to deal with any of the introduction bs but one thing i like was i like pike's sound off because not only does it remind the viewers of all of their names and i feel like the bridge crew is definitely going to get more spotlight and i really like that because typically the bridge crew are your main characters in in a star trek show um but i i liked it because how they played that was pike is new so of course he doesn't know any of their names but it's also tying back so that the audience gets that refresher it also was a good way to show uh, again i think how good of a captain pike because he's like first of all and you know tell me who you are and then immediately he remembered everybody's name and what they needed to do and bloom 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 like do this do this you do this you do this like he was on top of it immediately Demer. Yeah, that was Fly good. that was another favorite of mine. Yeah, and then my biggest like of all, it's it's Anson Mount as as Captain Pike. Like I, I've listened to his podcast, The Well. I so I appreciate him on a podcaster level. And yes, and like like I gave him like a brief shout out and just yesterday, part of the Well's like favorite like uh like Follow Friday, I was tagged in it along with like all these Star Trek actors and like other people. Oh, and I'm like nice. wow, that is super cool so already like Anson Mount was like man this dude's awesome but but to have that as like Captain Pike like he's he's a hard ass when he needs to be like I loved when he snapped back at, at Michael he's like I don't need to explain the whole thing I know like give me a solution and I, I thought that was that was great because he just can't be Mr. Nice Captain all the time he's a multifaceted character and the, the glimpse that we saw in the original pilot cage where he's having doubts he's like i'm tired of having 400 and whatever lives you know on my shoulder and and this and that so he is a real captain with doubts and they even acknowledge that when when he's like look my crew had a hard time when we were out there knowing that this entire war was going on and we couldn't do anything so overall my my biggest like is is captain pike and and anson mount Mm, yeah yeah like i said i i think i'm developing a man crush on (laughs) oh yeah and now i want 
want to like go back and like, oh man, I got to watch Hell on Wheels and <laughs> some of the stuff that, that he's been in. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Mr. Dewey. All right. Well, in addition to the things you guys listed, which I also enjoyed, um, I really liked the mention by Michael of Spock accepting her for a time because mm. I, it's not stated explicitly, but I think that that's actually a reference back to the book. The first book that came out yes. put Spock and Michael in a situation that they had to work together and they kind of they were clashing at first and then they they came they had to work together to get out of the situation that was what was required that was the whole point of the story as a matter of fact and so he had ex- at that moment you know when they left that story they were in a much better place in their relationship so i'm thinking mm-hmm. that when she said that that that's what she was referring um which is cool like i'm glad they're if that is the case then i'm really glad they're bringing the the book stuff into this as well so that it's you know everything is tying together the way it should i I love the fact that we get a red shirt mention and also that it wasn't the red shirt that ended up dying. Although yeah. I do, I am curious though, it's like, okay, so only the Constellation class ships have the new uniforms with the different colors and everything. So why did Discovery have different colored space suit or flight suit? Like, no, I think... The, the, their Power Ranger suits, like, did those, did they get those off the Enterprise? Did they bring those with them? Are they assigned to the individual? Like... I, I, I think, I, I think it was assigned to, to the individual, like, because Burnham had that standard, like, silver that we've seen before yeah so, so that makes yeah. sense if they like went and got because at that point they were still well no they weren't over well i maybe they just I, assumed I'm, maybe I'm that's sure something they, they packed over some supplies <laughs> and, and some more equipment that's just something they the pack Enterprise. normally that's in their go bag i guess i don't know yeah <laughs> and this is also uh, you will talk about it later but this, i i liked and didn't like the whole red shirt thing because at the same time it's like you knew somebody was going to die as soon as the words red shirt were uttered and like app ah, somebody's going to die but i'm glad wait, it wasn't wait, who uttered it i i Pike guess did. i missed said, that. get your red shirt into a space suit and let's get going or something like that oh okay yeah he said that and then i was like oh well okay somebody's dead and i'm like i hope it's not actually her because first of all i, I i'm digging this this species and this character and i'm, I'm thinking i want to see more of her and less of Connolly anyway so um <laughs> kind of got my wish on that one it didn't it, it didn't hurt that right. i thought the guy was racist when, when he died maybe maybe he was just speciesist <laughs> i don't know but due to a misunderstanding uh in my ears i thought he was a little racist when <laughs> when bit it. One of my favorite things about this episode is Tilly. I mm-hmm. love Tilly in this episode. I mean, I've loved Tilly in the first season yeah. and like every time she's around, it's just she's so smart, but yet not quite sure of herself yet. And I love seeing mm-hmm. her grow little by little as far as being able to assert her knowledge and like being able to step up and say, I know how to I can do this. And you know, coming out of her shell and you know, obviously providing some of the comedic bits. It's also helpful. Um, <laughs> what did didn't she say when she was uh like like I caught this on on my second viewing when she was doing the room reassignments when she was talking to Stamets and I don't know if she said it like I'm power. drunk with power and... yeah she's like yeah. so I'm so I put her in a broom closet and I moved you up to those two levels. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that bit. So like, great. That, and then when she's like, maybe they'll drive Marge Goat! Oh, sorry, there was just, uh, there was a lot of noise. Good good job, Com. <laughs> like that bit, and then of course the, the pinky. <laughs> right. I just, I just feel so weird to say pinky to a captain. It's just, it's just not a very authoritative word. <laughs> Another thing I liked, you know, talking about Pike, I loved Pike in this episode because I was afraid, and I talked about this on the previous episode when mm-hmm. we talked about the short trek, I'm, I was a little concerned that Pike was going to end up being essentially another version of Kirk. 
you know, some of the bits in the trailer made him, you know, there were some Kirkish moments that I was like, eh, are they just going to make Pike into Kirk Light? You know, is that what we're going to get? And no, they didn't at all. You know, they, Pike is definitely his own unique individual, his own, he's got his own captaining style and it's awesome. So I am very, very, very happy that we are getting a completely unique, you know, it's, this is a new captain and we're getting a new captain. We're getting something we haven't, you know, we're not getting, you know, a version of Kirk or a version of Picard or a version of Cisco or a version of Janeway. We're getting Pike and he's unique and his own. And I love it. Um, I also love that they tied back to the short treks in that Saru starts mentioning his sister. I know yeah. in I, the trailers we see him. I with was annoyed sister. by that because it's like, okay, Burnham, you've known Saru for like 10 years and his siblings have never once come up in conversation. I feel like their relationship has always been a bit confrontational. So I don't feel that they've ever really sat down and had a conversation about family other than when it pertains directly to work. So like he may know about her sibling because he's in Starfleet, but right. I don't think that her, his family would have been something that he would have opened up about on his own. And yeah, I her can being see that who she considering is. his considering his situation. Yeah. And okay. so I can I can see that. Um, I feel like hopefully they're getting into a better relationship now. Uh, some things have been he you know, their their relationship, like I said, been confrontational previously. I think they're getting to a point now where they are working together better and will start. I don't know if they'll ever be truly friends, but I think they will be good colleagues and hopefully some more of this stuff will open up between them and maybe Saru's sister will will play a part. Maybe there'll be something going on with that. I know we see we saw in one of the earlier trailers for season two that we see Saru with his sister on a starship. You know, they're in a transporter room. We don't know which one for sure, but on a starship. And so at some point we know Saru's sister is going to play into it. And I'm glad that I'm kind of glad that they started that ball rolling, mentioning her to kind of you know, like, hey, remember these short tracks we had? Like, guess what? They're going to play a part in here, at least some of them. Um, I wonder if we'll hear anything about what was the species that uh, Tilly interacted with in the uh, first short track? Can't oh. remember the name of the species off the top of my head. Yeah. But the, they had that the planet with the, the, the dilithium recrystallizing technology that we know is right. going to play a part sometime in the future. I wonder if that's going to play a part in this season. Or it'd be interesting to find out about that. As was mentioned previously, I really like Spock's quarters on the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. that they updated the look to something that fits in with the way starships look in Discovery, but yet still had recognizable element from TOS without looking as cheesy as TOS did. So I, they did a really good job of blending to where it was recognizable. You looked at that and you said, yeah, that's Spock's quarter. You know, everything's in the right place. It's essentially, you know, a little bigger than TOS, but they've got more space to work with, especially since a lot of it's probably digital. Um, those, those shelves with the circle things, whatever those are, I don't even know how to describe them. But in the original series, those look tacky as crap, but they've managed to integrate those in a way that's recognizable, but actually looks like it belongs and like it's actually in a design helmet that I'm like, oh, you know what? I would have that in my house. I look at it in TOS. I'm like, ooh, it's hideous. But in this version, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that actually looks nice, but it's recognizable. It's something that ties back to the original series. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is what we're looking at. Uh, you know, there's always going to be the purists out there who are still going to complain that it doesn't look right. The technology's too advanced. They, why? How does he have a holographic pen and stuff when he didn't even have that? Do these people really want to show that still has knobs and dials and countdown timers that are rolling wheels with numbers on them on a starship? <laughs> I mean, is that really what we want out of a television show <laughs> in 2019? I know I don't, but the people who seem to be complaining about canon all the time evidently do want that. I, I don't get it, but I'm fine with the update in the visuals as long as they continue to, to tie it back enough to make it recognizable. And I think they've done that brilliantly with the uniforms and the, the, the set pieces and things like that. I, I, I 
dig it. I like the update in the visuals because it makes sense with current filmmaking technology, and I think it's enough of a tieback to for me to believe that it's part of the canon. Um, as we talked about the the fortune cookie, the wording on that mm-hmm. the, the the fortune itself yeah. know, ties back to ties back not only to what's already happened to Pike in the cage, but what's going to happen. You know, when he goes back to that cage and it's not a prison any longer, and mm-hmm. the fact that not you know with the not all loss eternal, like does that we're gonna see Lorca again, or maybe you know. Ho- well, hopefully Prime Lorca, because if they bring back Mirror Lorca somehow, I'm a little upset. He should be dead, but I would very much like to see Prime Lorca. And then uh, one thing I really, really enjoyed about this episode, we, we get to see the inner workings of some things, and especially the turbolift. That's something that I, in the past, the only thing we've ever seen is like a single shaft, like an elevator. But it's like, but these things go all over the ship. Like, these can't just go straight up and down. You know, you don't see people having to take right. four turbolifts to get where they're going. And then especially in Discovery, they're always talking about bridge direct, like no other stops, like we're going where I say we're going right now and to see that it's more like a you know uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory situation going on with the everything yeah. going in all these directions I know it's weird to think about and like looking at it and thinking about it logically it's like where is all of those things in the ship but it was still cool to look at so I, I yeah, liked it. It, it it's cool to look at and I, I mean we, we've known for a while like turbo lifts work omnidirectionally but that that was my biggest gripe like just how they looked at uh, how they made it look as an effect it looked like it was out in space in this black yeah. void and i'm like there should be like you should see essentially the outer shell of the ship from the inside kind of a thing you should see like these floating so i i'm gonna have to watch that visualization again um and it could just be that you know the parts that aren't the the inside of the ship are dark but i would have appreciated a little a, a little bit more sense in the layout of the ship because i don't know where the hell this thing is <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it when you look at it, it, it you're like crawls where? throughout the ship, but the way how they visualized it to me bothered me. I can get but, that. Anyway. Like, like I said, it, it threw me off at first, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I can suspend disbelief on this one to to look and appreciate it, the cool effect because we always knew that the turbo lifts were kind of one of those magical inventions. That it's like it doesn't make to actually engineer an ability to get around all the those the ship in that way would be near impossible without humongous space between every single deck, and that would just be a huge waste of starship space which is not something you'd want you wouldn't want just all this empty space for turbo lift shaft you know especially on a ship that has transporter capabilities i'm like you really need to get around that fast just transport but seeing the the visualization of it just and it was just brief quick just like hey we're going to show you the outside of the turbo lift as they're flying through it and it's like hey that's cool looking so i i get where you're coming from but uh mm-hmm. i kind of dug it right so let's get into dislikes and to start off the turbo lift scene <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm joking so I was confused about the communication issues. If Starfleet lost contact with the Enterprise, why wouldn't Starfleet inform Discovery to rendezvous with her? And uh, Pike can still tell them that he's taking command personally. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the issue with the Enterprise confused me a little bit. And it, this is something that's on my dislike list, too. It's like, okay, supposedly the Enterprise is completely dead except for life, but yet we see the nacelles, you know, the lights on the nacelles spin, and we see all of the running lights on, and and they are able to communicate in Morse code still somehow and effectively enough that they were, you know, within seconds of them figuring that out, they were like, oh, uh, here's all the information that we have and they're transporting over. It's like, what? Um, so it's like, well, what exactly is wrong with the Enterprise? It looks like it's running fine, except they say it's not. They just say it's not, but it looks fine. Like, shouldn't it be dark if nothing's working except life support? Well, for the beauty shots, you need the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> so that's probably the only reason why we have the external <laughs> running lights and what not next 
next up, his immediate competition with Michael. Is it over the mutiny or does he feel like he's competing against another child of Sarah? I think it's more just who he it was as a person. Yeah, like, I think he just like, he's <laughs> one of those guys that just has to be the smartest person in the room. And yeah. in that particular room, he probably he, he might have been the third or fourth smartest person in the room at that time, <laughs> you know, with Pike yeah. and Michael. And I, I we don't know much about the other officer yet, but I, I feel like he's probably one of those guys who always has to be right and if he's not he's going to be snippy about it so i'm glad we're not going to be seeing quite frankly i mean i'm not never happy when a starfleet officer bites it for no reason but at the same time i'm glad that that particular character isn't going to be somebody we have to deal with also yeah when when we were watching like um uh teresa and i like i liked um that he kind of got sneezed on and i like burnham's like kind of smirk because it's like yeah this this guy's a dick but um but no when he actually got you know exploding exploder tin even Teresa was like shocked by that. She's like, oh, wow, they they totally killed that dude. <laughs> and I mean, her her mouth was open a bit because I mean, that 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 was a gorgeous sequence that that was a very intense ride to watch. Right. But yeah, to have him just die, it, it, it kind of, like right in the middle of that, that 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 shocked her. So but yeah, I mean, no, no big loss. He's he was there. <laughs> yeah. And kind of kind of continuing with that. I feel like this asteroid scene uh, uh, was something straight out yeah. of the Kelvin timeline. Which, I mean, Alex Kurtzman was directing this, so it's like, yeah, we're, we're getting another drop from the ship scene, and I, I want to be done with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it cool, w- but... Yeah, exactly. And as soon as I saw the colored suits, I'm like, wow, really? We're doing this again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's it wasn't... It was a good scene. It's just uh, so overused now. God, that was ten years ago. Where the hell is time going? Oh. Oh, wow yeah hey we're in 2019 My god yeah. that was that movie was 10 years ago now holy cow sorry go on i'm just <laughs> like, like yesterday it, it does it does um so another <laughs> another thing <laughs> that kind of bothered me why couldn't they find a smaller piece of asteroid? <laughs> uh, i i have i have a theory on that and okay. my theory is like you know they were they were on one of the big asteroids and the piece of material that they actually wanted to study was just a small little rock and they said when she was talking to Tilly when Michael and Tilly were talking in sickbay that the asteroids are only partly composed of this material that they're trying oh, to find. Yeah, yeah. So it may be that they wanted the biggest piece that they could fit to maximize their chance of getting some of this exotic material because the it asteroids aren't completely is... made out of it. It just has some in it. So I have a feeling like that big chunk of asteroid, like in the trailers, we saw that Tilly has that small chunk of yeah. stuff in that container. I have a feeling that that's all of the exotic material they're going to get out of that big chunk of asteroid is that little bit that's in that container later on. So I think that's why they went biggest piece that oh, they could sure. physically hold to maximize their chance of getting some of that exotic material that they're after. Uh, to, to piggyback on that, why does it seem like Discovery Shuttle Bay door is always open uh, no yeah. matter where they go? I hate sure that. Is. I'm pretty sure it is. I think it's just designed as, a, I think it's just force field unless they God, actually like have so the emergency. Dangerous. Yeah, I'm, I don't think we've ever seen it closed in any shots when we've seen the rear of the ship. I think it's always, you'd think they'd close it when they went to warp, but... <laughs> nope. I, I don't know. It just, if yeah, I'm pretty so sure. Dangerous. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like that's one of those things I've only, I don't think we've ever seen the door down, but on there that. must be a door. Oh, I'm sure. Has. Well, I know my, my model, I'm looking at the model of discovery right now and Does it, it has, door? it has the door closed on the shuttle bay. Yes. It has an okay. actual like gate type thing down on it. 
So okay. at least in the design plan, they built it with a door, which would make sense. They'd want to have a door if there was a power failure, the force right. fields went out. But I think like, they're putting a lot appreci- of faith. Uh, they're putting a lot of faith into those force fields most of the time. <laughs> like I would appreciate a shot of as it's coming out of warp when we see the back end, like you see the door open up, like that that kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. but to have them jump right out of warp, and especially in an asteroid field, like I get it, the ship has shields and there's also a force field to the bay but i i don't know like like one bad power failure and that whole bay is gone you know what i mean (laughs) right and another another point to my gripe with this asteroid is that like artificial gravity thingamabob if that loses power yeah ka-chunk they're screwed (laughs) um so hopefully like you said they get that they find what they need from the asteroid and then get rid of the asteroid because they're gonna need to use shuttles at some point um in the season i'm sure oh, they'll just jump in those little pods again well the, the things the, the asteroids in the way they can't that, that, that's that's another dumb problem i, that, I have that's all that's on my list <laughs> as well but uh yeah go, go ahead aaron continue uh finally is probably just something i should should have made a uh quantum state of flux but why has no one mentioned anything about cyborg uh, i i feel like he'll get a line i feel like there'll be a throwaway line about cyborg at some point in the, in the season but i feel like that's all it's gonna be, is we're gonna get one throwaway line and then that's it that's the only mention of it because i'm pretty sure everybody including the producers and the owners of the content want to distance themselves from that movie but because of the the hardcore fans out there who are like hey wait a minute this is this is in the story as bad as that movie may have been it's still part of this family you know we know that they've made this part of this family so you better throw us a bone here and at least acknowledge it like oh he says grandparents you know or yeah. you know something yeah you know, oh, that's Cyborg. He took off again. We don't know where he's at. Anyways, moving on with the story. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it's literally going to be a throwaway line where the name is mentioned and then it's gone I'll, again. I, I would I, be perfectly okay with that. Me too, quite honestly. But it feels like something that uh, maybe should have been done right at the right at the beginning. But then again, like I said, perhaps they're trying to distance themselves from that movie and therefore putting it in the season mirror isn't where you want to put that reference. So I feel we'll get there. Though. Yeah. So one of my biggest gripes was this whole landing pod thing because yep. the visual show the four pods like right underneath the bay and then they're doing this launch sequence and it's like it feels like quite a few meters to like bullet shoot all these out and it's like no it's like right there you can just like shove them out an airlock like things <laughs> have right. thrusters like I, I don't get why we have to like bullet traject these things so that was weird it was and especially when she said that it was built for a specific mission you're gonna build all of that integrated into a starship for for one mission and then she says it was built specifically built for one mission for discovery and that she was a test pilot but when the hell was that supposed to happen because the end of season one and this episode are like right next to each other the the whole petri thing feels like yeah there wasn't a whole lot of timeline on that like yeah there wasn't where yeah yeah there wasn't a lot of time for her to be on discovery now it is possible that she was a test pilot for this before it got put on Discovery. Right. And then sure. it just happens that she ended up on Discovery. But yeah, they I don't think they needed to include that line about her being a, a test pilot for these particular pods. Yeah, it's like I, I don't I don't want Michael Burnham to turn into any more of a Mary Sue than she feels like it's becoming. You know what I mean? Like, oh well, I was the test pilot. I did this and I did that. And why why are some people going into this mission when they haven't been trained? 
trained in these ship systems. <laughs> like, holy crap. Because right. it, it just felt like Nan had, like, no idea wh- what this was. And they're freaking out about, you know, the automated versus manual. I, right. I don't know. Right. So someone else on Discovery should have been trained to fly these things. Right. Besides Burnham. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I feel you there. Yeah. And it, um, it, it does seem odd that the only people who went on the mission were Burnham and the only three people that came over from Enterprise. Like, right. doesn't Discovery have anybody else available? Like, it's got its full complement, doesn't it? You know, it was on its way to get its new captain. Yeah. And I get that, you know, obviously for storytelling purposes, Pike has to be there, yada, yada. But man, he was really quick as a captain. Has has that rule not been established for captains not to put themselves into this <laughs> very dangerous line of fire? Maybe we learn that Pike is the reason that rule exists. <laughs> Although, didn't well, I mean, Kirk went on everything. Archie go on missions. Yeah, oh, yeah Kirk, Kirk going on missions. Kirk went on missions all the time, too. So, yeah, I think that was something that was... Yeah, I I, that, I think they call it the Kirk rule, probably. Um, because but, I, <laughs> but, but don't get me wrong. I still love the whole sequence. It, it's very exhilarating. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the drama and the tension of him, like, trying to, like, kick back helmet to, yeah. to activate the thing. Yeah. And I loved it. as it, Seconds before he ejected, like right before he ejects like it goes down and he just kind of ch- like it's that nervous chuckle like well thank god that worked yes it, it was such a great i i'm going back to a like but but there were parts of this sequence that that irked. Right. and yeah. why 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 are all these starfleet ships like ro- warping right in front of a disaster yeah don't they have like sensors to like tell like them like a kelvin alex kurtzman thing but it's like well we're on vulcan oh alert we're in a debris field like come on yeah it's it's almost like they're at warp and they can't sense anything until they're out of warp which is very dangerous um, yeah, what would have uh, happened if they yeah, just stopped think? just a hair later like they would have been warping through that debris field which as we know from other shows is bad to warp through things because it uh, does end well for anything <laughs> so yeah it does seem very odd that they're able to like the sensors should have been like hey uh we can't go here there's stuff here we need to stop before we reach this debris field instead of, I don't know, in the middle of it. Yeah, but that's, um, I mean, I didn't have a lot of dislikes for this episode. Yeah. I think they're building up some great uh, tension. It's it's just that some of the little technical things that bother me, like the, oh, hey, there's like thousands of cubic meters of empty space in the ship when they show the... <laughs> When they show the the turbo Turbo lift. lift. So I I, I take that as maybe we're seeing kind of like an X-ray, more artistic license thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like it's the technical stuff that I I wish they would be a little bit more conscious of on the visual continuity. Because literally, if you're going to show that pods are directly under the big Starfleet symbol in the shuttle bay, which is already at the aft of the ship, you know, we, we don't need a complicated launch sequence like that. I, I get that they want to show, ooh, it's like a bullet and let's start this sequence off right. But, you know, literally you can have a short ejection sequence, like just launch them out like like that still would have been cool too. Like, like those are mini launchers. Cause that's what it looked like. They, they get down there. There's four pods in, in these containers. I thought they were just going to like straight channel. Like, like there's four little holes in the back of like right under the ship that open up. And these things just yeah. like pachoom, 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 out. Like even that would have been, but yeah. I, I don't need this whole thrill ride, like <laughs> roller coaster thing. Cause it just doesn't make sense visually. Like did those just loop around just to like come back out? 
uh, it, yeah, that it's the technical things that on Star Trek because Star Trek is a, a tech-based show. Just put a little bit more thought into the the technology and how it looks and integrates. Like I get it, CGI is a thing, but like finish the <laughs> yeah. deck plan for Discovery and figure out how all this works together. Right. And and I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with everything you said, Eric. That's right, because I'm just gonna climb up onto that soapbox again because that that was my biggest issue too. First, my my one issue, which was also one of my likes, but at the same time, one of my dislikes, was the fact that as soon as the words red shirt were uttered, I knew somebody was going to. And it's like, okay, that that trope in Star Trek is overused by far. Yeah. I was glad that it wasn't the actual red shirt that died because that would have been way too much like the Kelvin verse if it had been the red shirt that had died in that mission because they're like, oh, come on again. Like, not only are we doing the jumping out of the ship and into, an, into a dangerous situation, but then the red shirt dies. Okay, I get it. Um, but yeah, when, it, when he said red shirt, I was like, oh, he just doomed somebody on this mission. And But at the same time, I was like, ha ha, red shirt. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of a mixed bag there. And then my other issue was just small, logical issues that force us to suspend our disbelief a little too much. Like I said, mm-hmm. with the Enterprise, it's supposedly dead except for life support, yet all the running lights are on, the nacelles are going. I would accept just the running light, you know, because those might be just auxiliary, like, yeah, if you're dead yeah. in space, you want to have yourself lit up so that other ships might be able to see you. You know, like if you're floating out in the sea, if you have a light, you're going to turn it on. Somebody can see you if they happen to come by. Okay, fine. But the nacelles were spinning and going like, well, if it's dead, wouldn't the warp engines be down completely? And then like, okay, so how is it that if they have no communications, nothing but life support, how did they send the distress call that Discovery picked up in the first place? And so like, well, how did that happen before they, you know, because they didn't figure out how to communicate until the Morse code. The whole idea of the fact that, okay, so they're dead in space and somehow they send out this signal and Discovery happens to drop out of warp right there. Because if they're dead in space, that means they didn't come to meet Discovery. They were there already, which means Discovery just somehow managed to drop out of warp right where they were. Because all, all Saru said was slow us down. They dropped out of warp, Enterprise is there. Hey, cool. Good luck, I guess. You know, billions of cubic meters of space that they could have dropped out of warp in. And they happened to uh, land a uh, hundred yards in front of Enterprise. Cool. Just um, just like there happened to be a <laughs> ship on the asteroid that they're investigating. Well, that I, I feel like that might play into the story a little bit. Like I'm wondering if, you know, because it happened to be right where that red burst was. So I'm wondering if we're going to find that these bursts are directing Starfleet place like mm. to be like, hey, look, you, you've got somebody over here who needs help. And or, you know, th- that I'm thinking that might play into the story later. I don't know, but we'll see. So I'm, I'm willing to, to go with that. And where the hell were these pods that they're using for this mission when Burnham was investigating the Klingon beacon? Wouldn't one of these pods have been way better to use to go check that out than just sending her out in a spacesuit? Well, I mean, that was in on the uh, another ship. But if she was a test pilot for all this, if she had these, like, why well, didn't I'm they use something like that, this? I'm assuming that the test pilot thing was sometime between the peace accords and Discovery leaving. But they also no, had the worker I, bees I would think on the Shenzhou. So that was before all of this. Really? No, I, I think it was before the war. Yeah, that's that was my impression with her saying that she was a test pilot. I'm like, I don't think there was much time between all this because it was like, boom, boom. Like, here's the peace treaties. Here's the speech. Well, they not, got their awards. There was, like, boom. there was more time. I believe in between the peace accords and discovery leaving earth, then we're led to believe if, if that's the case, then maybe I can accept that. But at the same time, they also show the worker bees, which we know the Shenzhou had because they talked about loading up one with a torpedo before they ended up putting it in the Klingon body. So why didn't they send her out in a worker bee to check out this thing instead of, well, we're, we're going to have to look at the timeline.
timeline because, you know, they mentioned 10 months that, you know, the, the Hiawatha from the Klingon War. So I just want to know, did the Klingon War then end eight months ago? Or, or, or you know what I mean? Like, was, yeah. was there a two-month gap? So I, right. I think I'll have to do some investigating as to, like, the time frame. Because, I mean, 10-month good reference point. Like, 10 months, 11 days. Okay, you can work backwards from that. So, yeah, if there was some time between the peace accords and discovery leaving then i can more accept you know something like this being put on to discovery for for an upcoming mission right. um, that's that how they... i interpret it in okay upcoming... so yeah uh, so I, i'm I'll, just gonna I'll, have to I'll give them the then i'll give them that one but still with the other things and you know like i said the turbo lifts while looking really cool and i like seeing the inner workings they don't make much sense and while it was funny and the guy deserved it seriously an officer in starfleet doesn't have the manners to cover his mouth when he sees it i mean come on that just yeah. that that bugged me a little bit like that was the one little bit of comedy that i was like oh you're better than this. yeah um the guy deserved it i'm not saying that and <laughs> i i know that's why they did it but but, was but because then linus was... didn't know him from a hole in the wall so yeah. th- that's kind of rude on his part yeah uh so that was my my complaint about it was that like like seriously like you're an officer in starf you haven't been taught to cover your nose or sneeze i mean come on <laughs> especially when you know you're sick you, you just had a conversation with michael about having some kind of little bug or something going so you know hey yeah why don't you cover your mouth but i understand it was for the for the comedy but that was the one time that i thought the comedy went over over the top into right. almost slapstick whereas that's not where the, the rest of the comedy was good solid joke and you know situational mm-hmm. humor it's jet reno which is i can understand why uh, janet because yeah. it's jet reno i, I looked it up because i was like wait a minute what what was her name <laughs> like when she's like like so what's the situation oh we're hurtling toward a pulsar oh that's good i thought we were all gonna die uh, you know stuff like <laughs> oh I, I love that line yeah, yeah stuff like that that's funny and it's you know it's a type of humor that people would use to de-stress a stressful situation so i that part i appreciate but the sneezing i was like okay that's hot but other than that i mean just those small little things which honestly you could point to any episode of any trek anywhere and find stuff like that because there's always going to be the little issues where they have to fudge the tech to get to the store and you know maybe they do it a little too much sometimes and maybe they have the research now that they should be able to avoid some of that stuff Um, but really that's my only gripe is tiny little thing right so why don't we give our scores of this episode and let's rank it ensign the captain this might be a bold statement but i think it's the strongest season opener that i've seen in any star trek series and i'm giving it three pips rank of commander uh, i i, I want to give this a, a captain but there, there are a, a, you know a couple of these little things that that build up for me and mm-hmm. uh, of course might be answered later on in the season i love that they didn't just go right out the gate with uh having spock you know right there so i i really appreciate that and i really dug the little this season on star trek discovery because we see these little moments and you're like oh well how the hell are they going to get there like so i i I like that we're getting a little bit of mystery they didn't spoil much but there's enough tease there to keep us going but i'm i'm with you aaron this is one of the best season openers i think for 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 star trek it's it's definitely a top five for a season opener for, for me at least so i i would have to also give this a c- commander three pips well if you guys think you're bold uh you guys are going to be uh out of, mine just knocks it out of the park honestly with the exception of best of both worlds part this is the most anticipated season opener for me of any tricks this is the, mm-hmm. the one time that i've been most excited for a season opener. gone in with such high expectation i mean we talked about it last episode i was literally giddy like a schoolgirl waiting for 
this episode to drop, and I was so afraid that my high expectation would lead to disappointment once the episode actually came, and I was not disappointed. Mm -hmm. Honestly, not just Trek, but of any established television show that I've watched multiple seasons of, this is probably one of the best season openers I've ever seen of, of any show, not just Trek. I mean, this was just phenomenal the way they built off of the previous season without it being a story continuation. You know, it's not a, it wasn't a cliffhanger from the previous season, really. I mean, it, it wasn't a cliffhanger of the main story. It's just a little T cliffhanger to lead us to this. So, so it was a unique storyline, but they gave us so much in what seemed like a really short amount of time. I mean, the episode by so quickly, but never felt right while mm -hmm. it was going. So I mean, this one just, ah, it, it just absolutely blew me away. So on your scale of Ensign to Captain, I actually am going to give this a, a Star Trek 2009 field promotion straight up to Vice Admiral because, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, hey, if they can take Kirk from cadet to captain in one one move, then huh. I'm going to go ahead and give this episode of Vice Admiral. Now, the only reason it didn't get a full Admiral rank is because of those few things that I discussed previously, the, the little logical fallacies there that you, you have to work around. Those being the only things that bug me, I have to give this that rank because it was just phenomenal. And I'm going mm -hmm. to watch it again here probably in a few minutes and think of stuff that I was like, damn, I wish I'd have said that. I only watched it twice yesterday. I feel like I'm slacking. Normally I've watched these episodes three, four times before we record, but the timing this year is going to be a little different, a little better for us, I think, as a show, because we're we're getting the show on Thursday, which means we can watch it mm -hmm. either Thursday or Friday and record Friday, Saturday to drop on Monday. We're actually getting the episode out before the next episode comes out. So I think the timing with it coming out on Thursdays is actually going to work a lot better for us, but it will mean fewer watches. Yeah, m maybe not so much for me. I'm going to have to scramble for these Ranger Command episodes, but no, no I, I, I get it. Like, I, I love that we're going to release an episode before the next one comes out. That's that's really cool. Yeah, last year it was tough because they came out on Sundays and, you know, we couldn't really yeah, there was time no to record way that until was Friday happen. or Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, yeah. So with us having the weekend, at least, it, I think it should uh, work out a little better. It'll it'll take some, you know, quicker work editing and such, but I'm, I'm ready. Pump Prime down for the task. So uh, I think this is going to be a fantastic season i think we're gonna have a lot of fun watching and talking about it oh yeah for sure so uh, get, go ahead. Oh. Oh, i was gonna i was just gonna ask uh, aaron uh, what are your predictions for the for the season okay so i can't take credit for this prediction i got it from a watch mojo video on youtube but they in the video they mentioned that these red signals might be related to red matter and i'm thinking now mm. that i've seen this episode with and they're talking about this dark matter mm -hmm. maybe yeah, they mentioned dark matter dark, so maybe <sighs> dark matter matter is some kind of exotic form or red matter rather is some kind of exotic form of dark matter yeah which would tie into the picard series because it takes place you know with the whole red matter after romulus is is destroyed so we're seeing that setting too so right. it's all kind of tying back to well i mean kurtzman is in charge now and so it's it, it all feels like it's tying back to 2009 star trek which it's not a bad thing but no. um you know it shows that the whole world uh and universe is is connected but but yeah that would be that would be pretty crazy if they're able to explain more of of red matter yeah i, yeah. I agree it would be an interesting uh twist if that's where what it ends up being or uh somehow you know even if it's not red matter already if that's how they create the red matter if that's you know how they figure out how to make it either way it still ties in everything circles around and we get to where we we need to be for the card series so yeah the very interesting theory and and uh, curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, and, and this uh, another quick point. I think Michael resented Spock for turning down 
the Vulcan Science Academy. Oh, for mm. sure. Especially since she didn't get in and he did get in. Now, she didn't know then that she could have gotten in had Sarek chosen to put her in. But, you know, all she knew at, at growing up was that she didn't make it and he did. And then he chose not. Her life's dream was handed to him and he denied it. So, yeah, I'm sure there's some bitterness there. And then now that she knows that she could have gotten in, if if Sarek had known that Spock didn't want to, then she could have gone. You know, it was you know Sarek's choice that prevented her from doing it, not her own failure. So I'm sure she's even more bitter about Spock doing that now. Although I'm sure she's even, I'm sure her anger is more directed at Sarek for that one than, than at Spock. But yeah, definitely probably some bitterness going on there uh, on that whole front because of the way things went down. So, so Mr. Barry, any predictions? I definitely predict just kind of how we know that uh, these things usually happen with promos and such. I think we're going to get Spock sooner rather than later. I would place bets on episode three. We'll see him. Okay. Um, Cause I know, you know, they were still filming and, 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 you know, kind of wrapping things up, you know, a, a couple weeks before this episode uh, showed. So obviously effects for the, the second half of the show, but yeah, I think everything that we've seen in, in the couple trailers that have been released are definitely within the first five episodes of the show. I'm very excited for next week because it is being directed by Jonathan Frakes. I cannot wait. I'm obviously a huge fan of his because of Riker, but he's also a fantastic director. He really is. First Contact is still my damn favorite Star (laughs) Trek movie of all time. And, and he hasn't, he hasn't just directed Star Trek. He's directed like CSI and all these Mm -hmm. other shows. So, um, he's just a good director. And I, I love that. It's awesome because he still knows Star Trek Mm -hmm. and he's been involved with it and I just love that you know 30 years after the the next generation he's still involved with this franchise and he's still excited about it so I can't wait to see the next episode just from uh, him coming back to being a director and and he did direct a a couple in in the first season and he's going to do a couple in this season so yeah just keep bringing Jonathan Frakes back and I loved what you guys talked about last week like yes give me a Star Trek Titan short track <laughs> with him in the camp. Oh, Hell yeah. yes, I would be there for that. Oh yeah, I agree. But as far as predictions, I have no idea where the hell this show's going. Like I just <laughs> right. Uh, I, I the one thing I'll say is I don't I don't want this to be like a magical. Oh well, Spock's involved with everything. Like I don't want whatever vision he's seeing. Like I I don't want him to be the cause or the solution to all this. Why can't a mystery just be a mystery? Why does it have to like, oh, everything connected? Like, I, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But I, I just don't want Spock to be the, the magical key for all of this. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Although I feel like based on the previews that that kind of is where they're going with. I don't think that he was the cause of it, but I think he's going to be the one to unlock the mystery and figure yeah. out what everything is, is going on, like between him and Michael. Um, maybe it'll be a combined effort, like two of them together will actually you know team up and and get some stuff done but, but then we'll have like two major events in a year that are connected to like two people in the entire universe it's just eh, it's <laughs> but, I, I like don't don't get me wrong i love i love long form storytelling i mean this is television like this is modern television things are connected and there's an ongoing storyline and and all this stuff it's the same thing that i have a problem with the the newer movies like it, it's all like big major problem the 
universe is ending. We're all going to die. And only this crew can save it. <laughs> and, and, you know, Spock's line to, uh, to Admiral Cornwell was like, oh, like the whole Federation's at stake. And, you know, this could end the universe. And it's like, uh, again, <laughs> <laughs> wait, weren't the spores going to do that last season? Dang it. Again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but they have to have a big problem to solve. Otherwise, I, I, you know, we it. end up with just, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you got to take the good with the bad on that front in order to tell a big story you have to have a big problem but you can do it without that as well so it is possible i don't know if they can do it in trek with you know the visuals and everything like that i know cbs is capable of it i just actually watched they have another original streaming series on cbs all access called one dollar and the first season was just 10 episodes it was absolutely fantastic it starts a little slow if you if you do want to watch it give it a few episodes because the beginning is a little slow but then the way everything ties together and the storylines that intertwine with the different people in this town and you know the the event you know quote unquote that happens isn't that big on a grand scale it's not world ending or anything like that but they're still able to weave this really intricate story between all of these different characters in these 10 episodes to to tell a really great story and they do it really well the acting's fantastic the direction's fantastic it's definitely worth a watch if you have the time I recommend it Um, I figured I'm like hey I'm paying for all access for Star Trek I might as well check out some of their other original streaming content. I was uh, pleasantly surprised with that one. So as far as uh, Discovery Season 2 addiction, I, I feel it's still a little too early to make any big, bold predictions. I don't think they've given us anything that mm-hmm. points too much in the direction of the storyline. I mean, we know we've got these red bursts. We know we've got this vision of an angel that at least Burnham and Spock have Is this something that only somebody who's tied to Vulcan somehow has seen or is tied to Sarek somehow? Or, you know, we don't really know a whole lot. Uh, what I will predict is that I think we're in for a heck of a ride. I think it's going to be just great action, great storytelling the entire way. Yes, we're probably going to have a universe saving event happen at some point, but I think it's going to be told in a way that we're going to be okay with it. And honestly, just based on this first episode and the little tastes they've given us, Mm -hmm. I think this could easily be end up being one of the best seasons of Trek ever. Um, I know I'm going in again with high expectations, just like I did for this first episode, but hey, first episode didn't let me down. I'm hoping the rest of the season won't Remember what Pike says about high expectations. Oh, (laughs) hey. Yeah, but I... I am I'm choosing to ignore that advice because I still have I still have very high expectations for this season. But like I said, I did for this episode as well, and I wasn't let down. So yeah. um, that's that's it as far as predictions for me. I think I think we're going to be in for a hell of a ride. Cool, great episode, guys. Great season opener. Oh yeah. So, Mister Barry, if we were to find you on the internet, how would we go about doing that? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff at trekkieb 47 You can catch my other podcast on the four eyed radio network. That's Ranger command power hour at Ranger command.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Ranger command, PH, Instagram and Facebook, Ranger command power hour, all one word. So if you also like power Rangers and, and, or, or don't, because I find out that people that don't keep up with power Rangers listen to the, the show too. So, um, actually, uh, we're celebrating, uh, five years next weekend. Whoops. Uh, we're going to, we're going to be doing a live stream on uh monday so when this episode uh-huh. comes out uh, we'll be doing one on monday evening which will be our fifth anniversary live stream on youtube which will be re- edited and, and released as an actual podcast uh episode uh next saturday so right yep. on. cool stuff happening nice uh mr dewey how would we find you um i am at eric j dewey on most 
social media platforms for which you can search I'm on Twitter at uh, Untap under that name. Look <laughs> me up there. Um, and then, of course, don't forget to check out all the shows on the Four Eyed Radio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at the Sasquatch Net. Find us Facebook at uh, Four Eyed Radio Network. Very nice. Uh, and if you were look to look for me, uh, you can you can find me mostly anywhere at Nova Charter. Uh, until next time, live long and prosper. Keep on trucking. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod.